I'm going to go ahead and turn into Matthew chapter 13 in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 13. <clears throat> We're going to be reading from that in just a moment. Matthew chapter 13. It's good to see everyone out as usual, to be able to sing songs of praise to God. I appreciate especially that uh, last hymn that we sang, uh, Are You Sowing the Seed of the Kingdom? That's uh, going to have, really that's themed. I actually requested that uh, Rick would lead us in that before uh, I started going through this lesson because we're going to be talking about the parable of the sower, or as it's often called, uh, and I, I just I think that, that the, the lyrics of that song really help us you know, prepare our minds for the passage that we're going to be reading through in Matthew chapter 13. Um, and I will just say uh, that uh, he, Brother Rick has been struggling with some bronchitis and some issues like that. It didn't show at all this morning, so I, I uh, thank I thank him for his service this morning, especially with all that going on. Um, uh, and what an example he proved to be for us. <laughs> uh, so, uh, I, I just... I think that this parable, along with many other parables, are very helpful for us to learn from, very helpful for us to read, but I think a lot of times in certain passages, especially in the parables, there are just so many applications that we can make. And because it's the Bible, it's, it's just so multifaceted and comprehensive for everything that we do. Um, and so certainly there's going to be a lot of applications you can make in this passage as well. There's really one that I want to look at. But, so with that in mind, let's just read the first few verses here of Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 3. It says, He spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. Others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. I like how Jesus, before we even get into the explanation, ends this parable with that notion in verse 9. He who has ears, let him hear. Come and hear the message. Even from the beginning, he starts with an invitation. Now again, there are many points that we can make from this parable, but I want to look at the main point that Jesus is trying to make. Is there something to learn about evangelism when it comes to the parable of, of, of this parable? Yes, there absolutely is. There are many lessons about evangelism, in fact. But that is not the main purpose of why Jesus is going through this. In fact, I don't know if it's the best uh, title that we sometimes give it to say the parable of the sower. Because the main purpose, it's not necessarily about the sower, but it is about the seed and its effect on the soils. And so I want to look at this passage as we continue to read through it, and I want to see the point that Jesus is trying to make. I want to see the primary point before we start to make the secondary points and applications that we can make. And so this is a parable concerning the heart. It's a parable concerning the soils and how that seed, as, as uh, Luke would say in Luke 11, uh, 8 and verse 11, the seed being the word of God. How is it supposed to affect man's heart? Um, and how does it affect different hearts? Well, I want to start kind of out of order. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 18, we'll come back and read verses uh, 10 through 17 in just a moment. But picking up in verse 18, Jesus gets into the explanation. He says, Hear then the parable of the sower. 
when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary, and when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And on what on, on and the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil. This is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. <clears throat> so here, again, we kind of started out of order, but what is the main point that Jesus is trying to make? He's really trying to talk to people about the kind of hearts that different people have, especially when it comes to receiving, accepting, or maybe just denying the word altogether. And so from the very beginning, we need to understand there is only one good soil. Only one. And, and it's only this soil that, makes, that Jesus makes it seem like it's even successful. Now, if this is the only good soil, what that means then is that the rest are all bad. If this is the only good one, the rest are all bad and they're unsuccessful. They, they, it's not enough. It's not sufficient. Now, I think that this soil particularly succeeds because it's not hindered by the temptations or the hindrances of the other soils. As, as you look at these uh, explanations he gives to each one, he, I think he tells us how the good soil succeeds or triumphs where the others do not. And so really I want to focus on this as we look at this explanation Jesus gives and we understand that this, there's only one good soil. First of all, what makes it good is that it has maintained an environment where the seed can actually penetrate. Unlike the wayside, you, you know, when you look at this uh, parable that he gives, he's giving an illustration of a farmer and, and you know, the fields that they would have in, in you know, the wayside by the path, this would be kind of paths that were cut through the fields and uh, because they were walked on often they would be greatly hardened on the surface of the ground because they had been you know walked on so often and it would therefore when, when someone would you know be sowing the seed across the field there would inevitably be some seed that falls out on the walking paths that were too hardened that, so the seed could not penetrate the ground and because they were left exposed the birds of the uh, air would carry it off or it would just simply be crushed underfoot and it wouldn't really be much use there as well. And so from the very beginning, he starts with the most um, hard soil, the most hard-hearted soil. And so when you look at verse 19 and you see uh, just from the very start the, the maybe the worst condition one can be in, <clears throat> this bad soil is, is describing someone who just... They just don't care to listen. This is someone who may hear the word, like many of the other individuals other than the twelve disciples would have heard the word that Jesus had spoken at the very beginning when he was just giving this illustration, but they did not seek it. They did not want to listen, and they did not want to abide by it. This is, you know, th this kind of reminds me of a, a, just a short story I heard of you know, it was one of those, um, you know, comedic sketches. And it was talking about this husband. He'd had a long, hard day. 
He was really hungry. He got back. He came into his house, walked through the door, and the first thing he said to his wife, who was struggling with five different kids, and she was trying to, you know, get the kitchen prepared to make dinner and everything, and she's just she's just having a hard time trying to keep everything together because the kids won't listen and things are burning in the kitchen. And the first thing the husband says is, Hey, when's dinner? And the wife, flabbergasted, as well she should be, looks at him and starts just pouring out her heart and saying, the first thing you're going to say to me is Wednesday. You're not going to say, how's your day been? You're not going to try and come in and help me with the kids? How, how hurtful do you, do you understand how hurtful that is? And as she's pouring out her heart to her husband, he looks at her with the same blank stare as he started with. And as she gets to the end of her, uh, as she gets to the end of her aside there, he looks at her, nods his head, and he says, Okay, so not soon then. <laughs> and uh, the night didn't go well after that. <laughs> In fact, he didn't eat dinner that night. And so here's an example of someone who just, who, they, they hear, certainly, the words that are coming out of someone's mouth, but they don't care. There's no desire to reach out and accept that. There's no desire to seek to understand. That's the hard-heartedness that Jesus is talking about here. It just goes one ear and right out the other. They don't care. And so that's the hard-hearted heart, one that simply does not seek the Word, doesn't seek to understand, and does not desire for it to, to actually penetrate the heart. Well, you move on to the rocky soil. And unlike the rocky soil, I think uh, where the rocky soil fails, uh, fails, the good soil, it succeeds because it actually allows the seed to penetrate, and it also allows the seed to root deeply, not just a shallow root. It allows it to root very deeply, very deeply in the soil, very deeply in the heart. You know, this, as Jesus explains, this is the kind of person who just has that temporary excitement. You know, it looks really cool and, and really good at the beginning, but really there's no dedication, there's no mindset shift to actually make the changes you're supposed to. One of the best examples you can think of when it comes to that kind of a person is a diet. What happens at the beginning of every single year? Every kind of fad imaginable when it comes to what different diets you can be on. And man, you start off so excited and you're so strong at the very beginning, but then, you know, tomorrow comes. <laughs> or the next week comes. Maybe you do really well for one month, but just by the end of that, you are, you're done. And what happens a lot of times is there's failure. And it's, it's, it's not because there was no zeal at all whatsoever or sincerity. It's that there just was not enough. There wasn't conviction along with that zeal. There wasn't a commitment made at the beginning. It looks so good and it looks so fun and it looks like it's going to do a lot in the long run. But you, they haven't made the real mindset change when it comes to how not just this is what I'm going to eat, but I need to change how I view that food. And if you don't make those kinds of mindset changes, it's not going to work. I think this about a Bible reading a lot of times. There is temporary excitement a lot of times at the beginning of the year. We want to start our annual Bible reading. And then, just like with a diet, it's so easy to just lose that excitement because now I've got behind. And now he just keeps adding on all the t passages that I haven't been able to read yet, uh, all the things that I haven't been looking at yet. As if you're trying to you know, follow a schedule, and the excitement leaves because it's just like, well, what's the point now? Well, I think a lot of times, just like we were talking about with the diet, the problem is not that there's no zeal. 
And the problem is not that there's no faith there. It's just that there needed to be more of a mindset shift. You know, there are certain things that we never go without. Um, wives, would you ever allow your husband to go a day without brushing his teeth? Husbands, would you ever let a day go by without having every meal? There are things that we make sure we don't go without. Very rarely do I go without a meal. And almost never, I can't remember the last time, almost never will I go a day without brushing my teeth. And why? Because in my mind, that's unacceptable to not get done. This kind of person has not made that mindset shift. They haven't made certain things priorities. It just was a temporary zeal. Well, so that's where I think the good soil succeeds where, where the rocky soil fell. It allows that seed, the word, to penetrate deeply and to make those changes. But not only that, finally with the thorny soil, unlike the thorny soil, which was unfruitful, the good soil bears fruit. What I think is very interesting about this verse is that it doesn't say that it's necessarily dead. It just says that it's unfruitful. In fact, you go over to Luke chapter 8, the parallel account of this, Luke chapter 8, in verse 14, it says, the seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. He doesn't say that it just bears no fruit at all. It doesn't say that it's just the seed just dies. It just says it doesn't bear fruit to maturity. Let me tell you something. I think that this is, is the soil that Christians especially need to be most concerned about. And it's because it is so deceptive and it is so subtle. It is so easy to think, well, you know, the seed has been sown, so that means everything's okay. I've arrived. We cannot think that way in terms of just because the seed has been sown, that that's the end of the story. Because as soon as we think that, that may be the end of our story. We have to make sure that we're bearing fruit and, and not just allowing it to, to have a shallow root and a shallow, uh, a, a very shallow understanding and application, but it needs to bear mature fruit. If you're trying to grow, uh, you know, vegetables in your garden, it's not going to do if, you know, you're trying to grow, let's say, pickles, and the pickles only grow about that big. Is that going to feed the family for the winter? No, I don't, I don't think so. It needs to grow. It needs to get mature. It needs to get bigger so that way it can actually provide for the need for the nourishment of the family. Uh, and, and so th I think this is the most deceptive of all the soils. Because it, it's easy for people to think, well, they, they, okay, they've allowed this seed to be sown in their heart. And they've been added to the kingdom. They are now a Christian. And some may just think, well, now I just don't have to do anything else. I've, I really have arrived. I'm, I'm, I'm at church service every single, every single time. I don't have to do anything else. I don't have to be active. I don't have to be contributing to the work of the congregation. Look over at John 15 very quickly. Jesus makes this very clear, undeniable. John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Now, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. So it's not just that it needs to bear fruit, but there needs to be that continual notion of abiding in that vine, the true vine. And, making, and abiding is not just a, 
every so often throughout the day or every so often throughout the week or just you know, twice on Sunday and once on Wednesday. Abiding means you are living in something. And so he says, you need to abide in me if you really do want to produce that good fruit. And that doesn't sound like, well, I'm a Christian now. I don't hear anything else. No more applications I need to make. No, there's a lot more that Jesus requires of you if you want to bear a hundredfold as he expects from all who are a part of, of him. Now, finally with this point, as I already said, I think the reason that the good soil succeeds is it because it overcomes all of these temptations of the bad soils. In Luke 8, in verse 15, he says, The seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart. They've let the seed penetrate, holds it fast, they let it root deeply, and bear fruit with perseverance. Not just a shallow, not just, not just immature, but with perseverance. In every single aspect, they have succeeded. They have not fallen to the same trials or the same hindrances as the other soils. That's what makes it good. And so, if we want to be the good soil, we want to know what are those temptations that will keep us from producing what we are supposed to, that Jesus wants us to, from, that will keep us from being that good soil. Now, going back to the, a little bit more explanation Jesus will give to his disciples, after he gives this parable, and he hasn't given the explanation yet, but remember how it ends in verse 9, let those who want to hear, let them come and hear. Now, who comes to Jesus but the disciples? They ask him, why do you speak to them in parables in verse 10 of Matthew chapter 13? Jesus answered them, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been granted. For whoever has to him more shall be given, and he, shall, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. And we'll stop there for just a moment. Why does Jesus give this parable? Why does he give this illustration? I really think to identify which group was which soil. At the very least, so that each group could prove which soil they were. It's not like Jesus is forcing this upon people. What made the disciples the good soil? They proved themselves in the fact that they came, they heard, they wanted to know. They wanted to not only hear what Jesus had to say, but they wanted to know the meaning of it. What does that mean for me? How does that mean I need to change? That's why they were the good soil. And that is why they were... Allowed to un they were allowed to get the explanation because they actually came to Him. They were seeking it. And they were seeking more understanding. Now what you find about the rest of the people there, they were not the good soil. And how did they prove it? Because they didn't do what the disciples did. They didn't go and listen more. They heard, but they didn't want any more. Because maybe that's enough. It's not enough. They didn't want to seek to understand and change their end. In verse 13, picking up where we left off, he says, Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they would see with their eyes. Hear with their ears and understand with their heart in return. And I would heal them. Now, that, that is the reason that the disciples were the good soil and the rest were bad. Because they did not want to know more. They didn't want to seek it any further. And what he says is, Isaiah, when he was prophesying, and he was talking about the children of Israel all the way back in the Old Testament, there's even more fulfillment for these 
Israelites. Because now they're looking at Jesus, the true vine. And they don't want it. It's not just like the rebellion of old. It's a whole new... It's, it's right in the face of God because here's God manifested in the flesh. And they don't care to hear anything that He has to say. So you go to 16 and 17, it says, But blessed are your eyes speaking to the disciples because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So, so we get the point. There, if you want that knowledge, if you want to understand, if you want to be in that vine, you are able, but you've got to go. God has, has sown the seed everywhere. But you've got to go. That's what's interesting about this because, you know, some people would say, well, I guess I'm just the wayside and I'm not going to be able to change. No, I think that there's hope for every single soil. Notice in verse 19 that he doesn't say, well, when it came to the hard part, when it came to the wayside, uh, he just didn't sow because that was a bad investment. In verse 19, it says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown. And so it's not like God ever looks at anybody and says, that's just not going to be a good investment, not even going to bother. No, the word is sown everywhere, period. And so that's not even a question. God has sown the word everywhere. And so nobody's going to be able to say, well, it never came my way. Oh, no, it did. What's the problem? How did you react? How did you respond? Did you seek it? Did you seek to apply it? That's what makes the good soil. Now, and so even in the hardest of places, God is sowing. But I think that there's hope, as you see at the end of the prophecy from Isaiah, because he even says things like, if they would just turn, if they would just hear, if they would just see and seek to understand with their heart, I would heal them. I think that if we struggle with having one of the bad soils, I don't think that it's just, well, that's it, we can't do anything else. I think that we have the capability of cultivating the proper soil that we want to have, that God desires. So that's really what I want to focus on for the rest of, of the lesson. How is it that we do this? How do we cultivate the good soil if it's not there right now? Well, just a few steps that I think you see in the parable. First, you've got to plant the seed. Secondly, you may have to break up the hard parts. You may have to break up the hard places, the hard ground, and make it fertile. We're going to have to move some rocks and plant deeper. And we're also going to have to cut out the thorns and make sure that we don't neglect it, but nourish it and water it. Again, a lot of the language that's going to be used is in terms of cultivating and gardening. So that's, that's why I'm using all of these terms. From the parable, that's what you see. There are going to be times where even Christians need to cultivate the good soil because they don't have it. And so what, is this, what could this look like? First of all, as we started... There is so much that we could learn from this in terms of evangelism, but let me, just, let me just make this point very clear. Jesus wanted us to first and foremost make the application individually before we ever go out and talk to someone else. Because if this is not done per internally, what we're going to do is, is sow the same immature or bad uh, uh, soil onto others, put it onto others, and we're going to make them, put them in this exact same position that we are. We want to make sure that we have the good soil before we ever try to, to tell others, like Paul, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We want to be able to say that confidently. And so individually, we need to make sure that this is applied. Now, maybe you're someone who thinks, I'm just not bearing enough fruit. Well, 
As you've already seen, it may just be, have you been keeping the word from penetrating your heart? Have you not allowed the changes to be made in your mind? You know, so there's a man who is addicted to pornography. Now, clearly, there's the command that he's at least, at least he's not going out and fornicating with all kinds of women. So he's got that down, right? So at least we're headed in the right direction. But, but now he's still struggling. Because he just, it seems he can't let this go. Let me tell you, it, it will never be let go. The habit can never be changed unless he finally changes his mindset where as soon as I look, if I try to look further, that's, that's a failure. Are you willing to take the computer out of the home? Are you willing to smash it to pieces, take away all the avenues to commit that sin? Because if you're not willing to go that far, if you're not willing to tear out the eye, extreme application Jesus makes, you will never succeed. When Jesus says that you need to make this application, He means it. And so we have to make sure that we're allowing that word to completely change the way we may think. Our thought process, it needs to change our habits. We need to be willing to do that. We need to be willing to cut out the weeds of the heart and don't allow our heart to be exposed to the devil. Because that's the ultimate... If we're, if we're just exposing ourselves, leaving that seed exposed, He will carry it off and plant something else. And so we, we need to be careful about that. Maybe, maybe the word has been planted, but you have just been neglecting it. You're someone who's been baptized. You're a Christian now. But you look at some of the commandments that God gives you, like helping out brethren and being hospitable and trying to contribute to the work that's being done here, and you just think, I just, I don't want that. I'm already a Christian. That should be enough. I, I don't really think I should have to work any further. If that's how you think, well, let me tell you, that's rocky soil. And what needs to happen is that you need to tend to all that God asks of you. Don't leave any room for weeds to grow, and you're going to have to move some rocks. And some of those rocks may be heavy and hard to move, but they need to be moved if you want the good soil. And so it just comes down, it always will boil down to the very first notion. Are, are you going to leave your heart hard and stubborn like Pharaoh? Are you going to maybe even be, be subject to some godly sorrow for a time, but then overcome by moving those rocks out of the way, cutting the thorns down, and allowing the seed to have the uh, work that it's supposed to produce in us. And so it may be that we need to cut some thorns away that have been choking us, worry, worries of this world. We, we need to allow ourselves to be vulnerable and, and allow that work to expose what may be hiding in the darkness. So... We need to individually first focus on ourselves. But I will just say, beyond that, again, going to other applications, there, this can affect not just me, but it will affect, my example will affect others. A lot of times, especially when it comes to the church, people look around and they say that certain things are not being done and they say, well, why not? So I, I can't take... There, I've, I've preached in several congregations that have not had elders. And there have been times where I've had conversations with people and they say, uh, you know, they will just ask the question, why don't we have elders yet? And one of the first questions I, I always ask, there was, there was a congregation that didn't have elders for 100 years. They knew the history of the congregation, but they never had elders. And so they asked this question, why don't, why we're looking around, we don't see anybody. I ask, have you even planted the seed? Because if you haven't, what makes you think something's going to grow there? You're, sure, you're surely not going to get elders because you haven't, the, the seed hasn't been planted. It hasn't been cultivated. It hasn't been tended to. Now, some people would say, well, of course the seed's been sown. Okay, how? Can you pinpoint the work that we're doing? 
Can, can you point to how we are actively working to get to that point? Because if not, I don't know if we can say it's been planted. And so that may be the case. You, you, you have, maybe, maybe at one point it is planted, but then it, it just, it was never nourished. It was never watered. And so what happens is that seed kind of withers away and fades. So you start the process, but after a while, because at the beginning it's always more exciting. At the beginning it's always easier. But then after some time, you, you see it's not as easy as, as, as it initially, we initially thought it was going to be. It's not as simple as we thought it may be. And there are difficulties that are going to come up. There are hard conversations that we're going to need to have. But if we're not willing to have those conversations, what we're doing is we're neglecting that seed and we're allowing it to wither away and die. And so we need to come back and, and tend to that seed to make sure that it doesn't just fade away. You know, it, it could just be that, and, and this comes back again to, to the individual level. Maybe it's that for certain people, thorns have grown up. For them personally, they've allowed the cares of this world to choke it out. And I don't just mean, you know, how are others going to look at me? I mean, maybe this is someone, their thorn is, they just prefer no elders. Well, I mean, very clearly, that's just, you don't get to, that, that's not something you get to have. Because clearly the Bible teaches you, we need to be working for elders. And so that's just not a good excuse. That's not an excuse. But that could be one of the cares and worries of this world that's choking out that desire. And so we need to get rid of that. We need to cut that down. It may be, um, and this I think is much more relatable because this happens, unfortunately, much more than anything else. It could be that just bitterness or anger from past experiences are getting in the way. We saw how one man acted who should not have been an elder. And therefore, it's, it's just ruined our thought process on that. Let me tell you, there are some men that are going to act like diatrophies, which John talks about in his second epistle, or second or third. There are going to be men that try to lord it over the church, but just because you have a bad example, that does not mean that you get to say across the board that we're not going to have any. I trust God's word. I think that while there's going to be some examples that are just poor and really do hurt us, that doesn't mean that this fails. It means that that person failed. It doesn't mean that God has failed. And so we can't allow that bitterness and anger to get in the way. It could just be that we are just constantly tearing brethren down instead of encouraging them and uplifting them and trying to help them grow in the right direction. Let me tell you something. If, if, if you're one of those individuals, if the thorn is that you're just constantly tearing brethren down and you are trying to make sure that they never feel like they could ever serve in that capacity, let me just, you're the problem. And you need to face up to that. And you need to change that. Because God does not say that we are allowed to have that kind of attitude. No, we're supposed to have a loving, compassionate attitude trying to edify and encourage one another and exhort one another so that way we can get to where we need to be. So you may need to focus on yourself first before ever looking out. In fact, you always need to look to yourself first before you look outward and try to apply to others. Uh, and I would, I would just add to that finally. I think that this affects clearly more than just the individual. But it's because of our example. The reason this matters so much that we focus on making sure that I have the good soil is because others are looking and they see whether or not that's true. I think especially with, with parents, and, and you know, especially thinking about how I want to raise my own children, my, my own son, I want to make sure that I'm raising him the right way. And one of the ways that constantly scares me is what example am I going to show him? 
You know, sometimes parents are worried about kids not doing their part in church. Well, let me ask, so is that because mom or dad have just gotten by while tending to the thorns instead of ripping them out? What might that look like? You, have you, have you, do you just constantly go home in the car with your children and are just speaking bad things about the brethren? Man, that, that, the, the one that led singing, oh, he just did a terrible job. That's just, I, I never get anything out of that. Your kids are hearing that and they are paying attention and they're getting something from that. Or, you know, I just, that, he, the way he taught Bible class, that's just, it's just so stupid. You know, maybe sometimes there's going to be moments where people can do better. But, what are our kids, what are our brethren hearing? Constant complaints? Constant bitterness? Or are they hearing constant love and compassion for our brother and sister? Because that's the way it's supposed to be. They're supposed to hear words seasoned with salt. Not, not words that are just, not only just not seasoned with salt, but just trying to, you know, strike poison into the people hearing them. Or about that person. Now, maybe, uh, I, I, my mother-in-law was here not too long ago, and she said something that I thought was so wise. We were just talking about the need to make sure that, you know, you, just all the way across the board, trying to raise kids in the right way when it comes to the assembly, when it comes to Bible class. And she said, you know, if parents treat Bible class like an afterthought, their children will not only treat Bible class, but they will treat the church like an afterthought. And so am I showing the right example just in that? Do I, do I let my kids know that I don't really care about getting the lesson done? Now, in the adult class, that's not really been the case because, you know, we're just kind of taking notes throughout the class. But, but what are our children seeing? Are they seeing energy and effort to grow and to help one another? Or are they just seeing us tearing people down? That's not good. And then when, when parents do that over and over again, they, they wonder why their kids are not more dedicated. They wonder why their kids have fallen away. It's because of the example that he set. And, and, I'm, and let me just say, I, I understand maybe some of the irony of, you know, a very new parent saying this. But let me just tell you something. I, I'm, I'm trying to preach what God has said. And if we do not have the proper soil, people will learn from that. They will see that. And I have seen even just within just within my own family where this has been the case we ask how is it that the children could have gone astray and it's because we didn't focus more on this we didn't focus on cultivating the proper soil the good soil and so we need to be careful about that so you may be a Christian and you may think I just simply do not have the good soil and I know that there are thorns that have grown up, that there are rocks just smothering that seed that's supposed to be producing a harvest of, of, of a hundredfold, thirtyfold, sixtyfold, as Jesus says. Well, it just may very simply mean that you need to move some rocks around. And again, I, I understand that's always difficult. That's always hard. But at least we have an option. At least we have the means to move those rocks around and cut down those thorns and the weeds that grow up. But I will just say, even though that's difficult, what God promises is that if you present to Him the good soil, His Word will never return empty. What He promises is, unlike farmers on earth who have to sit and worry about whether or not the seed will actually produce the harvest that they desire, God says you never have to worry about that because if, you, if this Word is sown on good soil, it will always produce the harvest that you need. And so we don't have to be left worrying and doubting what's going to happen. We already know what's going to happen, but that's only if you present him the good soil. Maybe you're not a Christian. 
Again, do you have that good soil that God says is the only one that will be successful, only one that will produce what He needs, what you need, and that's salvation? Well, then I would say it's time to allow God's Word to truly change you, produce the harvest, and inherit that salvation that He promises is yours for the taking, should you just put the work into it. And so, if you're subject to the invitation of Christ, please let your need be made known. Won't you come as we stand and as we sing?